camp, and I don't remember what the subject was, but I was there with my good buddy Ron. And uh, we had done some kind of activity, and we hit the showers, and the showers were uh, separated thingies where you had a curtain and all that stuff. I finished first, and I was ready to go, and I had a great idea. Ron was still in the shower, and Ron's a singing kind of guy. So he was singing some kind of hymn and all that stuff. And so I walked back in, and then I just kind of slipped my hand in and, and turned the knob to freezing cold. So he's... What the... Start showering again. Stick my hand in. What the... What's going on? <laughs> and then I slept it, my hand in there again, all said, Darkson! <laughs> and anyway, never heard the end of that one. But it was so fun, and this guy was uh, one of the first guys that I met in my first church uh, when I was single. And he was also single, but he actually had moved uh, over to a town when he followed his ex-wife, because him and his ex-wife were having marital difficulties, they went for marriage counseling, and the counselor figured it was a good idea to help so much that he actually w- took off with Ron's wife. And Ron followed. And I was so impressed with Ron because he just absolutely loved his kiddos that he did everything. And just Both of us were single, and we sure had a good time together. There was times, day off or whatever, he just gave me the keys to his house. And I'd go over there, do whatever. He came back, and we'd cook together, and we'd just laugh together, and we'd go to movies together, or whatever that might be. Two different kinds of singles. But we sure celebrated uh, being together and enjoying that part of our life together. That same camp, I was actually invited to a pastor's retreat, pastor's and wives retreat. I was pressured to go, come on, it's going to be fun, come on, come on. I was a new pastor in the area. So I finally relented. I went there. There was 33 people registered, 16 couples and me. I know, let's play a couple's game. And I'm just standing there, what? So anyway, later on, not in bitterness, but in firmness, I just said, I will never, oh, come on, I will never come to this thing again. It was lame. You know how dumb I felt? Like, you, you know, long story short. So it's interesting how sometimes we, by the things we do, by our language, we alienate some people and we exalt other positions in life. You know that marriage, everybody's got to get married. I mean, if you're not married, what's the matter with you? Is sometimes what we hear or what we feel, and the church is no different. The church is no different. I remember one time when I first got here, I went down to the beach, and uh, I was having a bagel and coffee, and there was this loud, obnoxious old man, Jack. He was uh, from the Second World War. He let you know all that stuff. He let you know everything. Way too much. But nonetheless, uh, him and I that day went for a walk, a slow walk. He was almost 80 years old. And we went walking down the beach, and he became a very good friend of mine. And uh, about once a week, we would go for a drive. We would go for a drive and look at fields. There were times where we would sing old folklore songs. Other times we'd go off in Amazing Grace, and he'd almost be wiping an eye because he missed his wife so bad. We usually ended with a piece of pie somewhere. He was widowed. I was single. We sure enjoyed each other. We celebrated being single, even though sometimes we would rather not be single. Another time where I knew two people quite well and hung out with them 
And then they decided to get married. And I remember going over to their place and having a pretty good time. But it was a wee bit awkward. I knew them both as single people. I knew them both as they courted. Now they got married. And then all of a sudden, we totally fell out of communication, really. And it was just as if I was supposed to understand that I was a third wheel. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't invite a single person over because we don't want them to feel like a third wheel. Well, I didn't until I got the hint that I was supposed to feel like a third wheel. You know what I'm saying? So it was really awkward. And today I'm hoping that through our discussion together from the Old Testament right on to the New Testament, what is God's take and what's Christ's take on singleness? What's Christ's take on the singleness in the church? When I think about it, I wonder how many hours each of us wastes or each of us uses up or how much time we blow on thinking about the things that we are not. So if you're married with a bunch of kids, you go, oh, they have no kids, look at them travel. Oh, they have such a good time. Or if you have no kids, oh man, incredible, all the memories. Look at that, so cute, I just wish I had kids. And then there's the guy that, oh, if only I could be single, I could do what that guy's doing right now. And if that's single, oh, if only I was married, I'd have the love of my life. And it's just like, grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Hoping that today, we learn to maximize our lot in life. Are you married? Fantastic! Are you single? Woohoo! But I want us to get to the point where we celebrate who we are, and then I think that'll help us launch into maximizing our ministry. Understanding who we are is good, and we can celebrate that, and then we can take that and maximize our ministry. Let's pray together. Father, please open your word to us, sharper than a two-edged sword, and may it penetrate today between our thoughts, between our traditions, uh, between our intentions, with our heart. Lord, do something in our minds and our hearts. Cultivate a desire for us to learn and then to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles, and you're going to want to pay attention, because this is some interesting scripture we're going to be looking at today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please turn there, and I will be going from the New Living Translation, dipping a wee bit into the King James Version. But first of all, I'll be jumping into the New Living Translation. So here we go, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter... So right off the bat, I want us to see that the Apostle Paul is actually responding to some of the questions that the church or some of the people in the church were having. So somewhere along the line, he's gotten these questions, and we're lucky enough because we get to pull back like a bird's eye view and look in how did Paul deal with the questions that were going on in the church. You'll remember that 1 Corinthians is quite the church. Like it's pretty messed up. There's some stuff going on in there. You're going like, this is the church? Yep. Motley crew we are. And when you look at, if you're struggling with uh, getting a grip on some sin in your life and stuff, you can always go to 1 Corinthians and realize you're not alone. As long as you're on the trajectory to growth. So here we go. Regarding the questions you asked in your letter. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Banned. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relationships relations un- unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But, I like how Paul says that. I say this as a concession, but as a, uh, you know, not as a command. But, I wish everyone were single like I am. <laughs> Yet each person has a special gift from God. One of one kind or another. Verse 25. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. There's not a ton of detail on the present crisis, but there was something going on where things were getting pretty tough on the church in this part of the Corinthians. So because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have, uh, if you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. How's that for a wedding passage? <laughs> the bride will come down. We're gathered here today to witness the... Now, this is not a sin. How inspiring, right? However, those who get married this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. I love this. I want you, in verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. He better have his interests divided for his own health, right? In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for 35. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best as with as few distractions as possible. I'm going to say that again, verse 35. I'm saying this, Paul says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. That is not a portion of scripture that you hear about all that often, is it? But it's absolutely incredible portion of scripture, which I hope to unfold for you in a little bit. There seems to be a historical background that feeds our thoughts about marriage. I know that when I was a kiddo, I mean, I just thought, I, was, I, was always good. I never thought of myself to be single until I was getting creeping up in age and I'm going, well, geez, maybe I will be single. And then it doesn't help because you're surrounded by married people and you're surrounded by little old ladies in church that are always trying to hook you up. So it's just like, wow, I must be ill or I must, I must be diseased. There's something wrong with me being single because I'm not supposed to be happy right now. I should not be content, apparently. Well, in the Old Testament, it seems that there's an expectation to be married. And you get that for, from Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then Genesis 2, he goes on in 2 verse 18, says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. 23, at last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So those are two strong verses, especially the first one, 18 and, and 24. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And then later on, and this explains why you leave your father and mother and you're united to your wife or your husband. So if it's not obvious, it seems that even in church history, we just have this in our heads that, well, most of us, if not all of us, will get married. And if we're not, or if we don't have desire, is something wrong with us? Hmm. And then for the sake of time, it's interesting because throughout Scripture, you come up with this word that we're not too familiar with these days. It's called a eunuch. A eunuch. What in the world is a eunuch? We're introduced to eunuchs in the Old Testament and throughout history. And oftentimes, eunuchs serve the kingdom at that moment. So they served, uh, they were especially serving within the household or when it came to the harem. And what happened is these guys usually were, were castrated, so they had no libido, they had no sexual drive or not much at all. So they could be trusted in your household because they wouldn't be distracted by sexual temptation. Eunuchs, though, interestingly enough, were almost seen as second rate citizens. Throughout scripture, even scripture and extra biblically, you find passages that are, wow, they were looked down upon or frowned against. In fact, the law was rough on eunuchs in the Old Testament. This is awesome. Deuteronomy 23 verse 11. This is King James Version. You got to go to King James for this verse. Verse 23 verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, please make an appointment with Pastor Weston. Okay? That's just one of those things that I got to know my limits, okay? But I love that. He that is wounded in the stones. But he that's wounded in the stones shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Like, whoa, did you read that? So we're talking about, we're going to see in a bit, but we're talking about eunuchs that are made that way, something happened to them, or perhaps even in the New Testament we see that some people choose to be single. So does that mean they're not welcome into the congregational life, into the family of God? Hmm. It almost seems as though they bring it about as, this is something that's just not right, this is uh, outside, this is life outside of God's call. In fact, Josephus, who's somebody that's extra biblical, he, he says to shun eunuchs, flee them, flee everything, don't have any dealings with eunuchs. In fact, 
Uh, Flavius Josephus, in Antiquities, in his writing of Antiquities, he says, expel them like infanticides. Like, this is brutal stuff. And he just says, expel them like infanticides. Yet some folks chose to be or to be made eunuchs in order to serve in the kingdom. Yes, some were absolutely like coerced into the whole thing, but someone, some chose to do that for job security and a place in the kingdom that they were serving. If you think of it, a eunuch had no backup plan. They had no children. They couldn't have children. No kids, no family. The eunuch's safety and security would be in the family of the kingdom. They gave their life over to the kingdom. Hmm. So I'm just trying to set up maybe, and this is kind of my own experience, I'm trying to set up that why is it that I had such a drive for marriage and I, I'm almost thinking like, well, isn't everybody getting married? Is it odd? if you actually don't have a drive to be married or if you wanted to be married and then you had to come to grips with, you know what, I'm probably not going to be married, but I'm not going to be sitting here moping all my life. I've got to be content, right? So I'm just trying to set that up and maybe to see that in the Old Testament we were called to be fruitful and multiply, get married and have babies. And what are we called to in the New Testament or in the New Covenant? So along comes Jesus And you always know that Jesus is going to up the ante. He never takes it easy on us. It seems at first glance, but it's never the case. Because you know know what he says, thou shalt not kill in the Old Testament. Okay, I haven't killed anybody, or thou shalt not murder. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, don't even hate anybody. That's like committing murder. Whoa. Or do not commit adultery. Okay? I tell you the truth, even if you look on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Like, he's now backing up and instead of going by the letter of the law, which the Pharisees in, this, in the portion that we're going to read in just a bit, they want him to just dive into, come on, let's argue. Let's talk about the letter of the law. But what Jesus loves to do, he loves to back up. And it's almost like he gives you a bird's eye view. And he gives you a glimpse into the heart of God and not just the letter of the law. Hmm. So, Matthew 19. Some teachers of the law come up to him. Teachers, Pharisees, Sadducees, people that love to count their steps and know that the T needs to be crossed and the I's need to be dotted. These folks love the law. And they came up to Jesus. And they're trying to trap him on the whole question of divorce. If divorce is wrong, or if it's a sin, or what's going to happen in that case. So in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus' disciples then said, after they're chatting about divorce and marriage and all that stuff, uh, Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, boy, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Did you get that? 
So what seems to be almost condemned in the Old Testament and by some extra biblical um, commentaries is now Jesus has something to say about it and he's not getting sucked into the argument of letter of the law but he's actually saying, talking about eunuchs and he says, but some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. But I also find it interesting, he says, not everybody can accept the statement. Jesus said, only those whom God helps. But he's not condemning it here. In fact, it almost seems as though he's giving us reason to celebrate that a single person actually might choose to be that. Hmm. He gets them to zoom out, like I said, and to really concentrate what is God's heart for folks, for marrieds and unmarrieds, for single, for people that are with someone. In 1911, Jesus doesn't rebut and make people see the benefit of marriage. He actually seems to shed light that singleness is actually a great option. (laughs) Thank you. Amen. I like what Bruxy Cavey outlined. He's He's a pastor in Ontario. And he says, Don't treat singleness like a problem to be solved or an illness to be cured. Don't say, you know, little old ladies especially here, okay? Don't, don't go up to single women in the church and say, don't worry, there's somebody special for you. You know? If you keep doing that, it's just like, I'm, I'm actually good. Like, and you almost feel like, gee, I, I should feel like something's wrong with me because I actually like being single. So let's be careful how we even speak to one another as we jest with one another. Because some folks... They had to come to grips with that. They did want to be married. And after time, they have finally gotten contentment over the situation. And we don't need people poking them and just saying, ah, did you check out her and him and all that? I have to stop there just for a minute. It's really funny. Nova, are you here? Nova, 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 Nova. Nova, 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 Nova. <laughs> Nova, Nova. Well, you know what Nova did to me? When I was single in this church she did not want me to be lonely at Christmas time so her and Ken bless their hearts invited me over for Christmas meal and you'd think that's all they did but no they had intentions those two conniving couple they are they invited me over they, they have four daughters oh three are single weird And I think Nova and Ken both gave me heck. They're just like, what in the world? Because I was tired. So I was over there for Christmas and I fell asleep under their tree. (laughs) And yeah, they do have good looking daughters, but I don't know what was going on. But anyway, they're just going, what are you doing? And Kenny's always so pastoral. But even then, what are you doing? Three beautiful daughters and you fall asleep under my tree. I don't know. Bad Nova. (laughs) anyway oh so funny so singles also need to make sure that we don't play games with god because let's be honest sometimes we love to manipulate manipulate god so i know if i'm single what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna be really 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 content so i'll be totally good with who i am and then the lord will bless me with somebody once the lord sees that i'm content boom i'm gonna look around Woo, prince charming 
But that's not good either. Then you're just manipulating for something. You're not really being content. And I think it's important, and as uh, Broxy Cavey continues to say, he says, and I think it's important for the family or the families in the church to also paint a picture for our children that singleness is valid. Singleness is a valid option for a follower of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ, so when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, believe that he died on the cross for our sins, and we look to him in trust and faith, we have this relationship, we're in this new covenant. Does anybody recall that he just says, now get married and have babies, the way that Genesis says it? It seems as though in the New Testament, he is calling us to not make babies, but make spiritual babies. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's really almost alluding to, in the Old Testament, make babies and the eunuchs were part of a kingdom. In the New Testament, through all sorts of time and, and other things that have happened, here he's calling us to be a family of God, to be a family together in Christ, and also to realize that the most important thing is not to make babies, but to make disciples. And you can do that if you're married, if you're divorced, or if you're single. There's a place for you in the family of God. New Testament, Jesus is being so countercultural. Be single and make disciples. Just think about that. Jesus comes, and I guess he ups the ante again, what I just said before. And he looks back at the Old Testament. Yes, marriage is awesome, kiddos are awesome, but everybody can make disciples. And he seems to almost celebrate being single, if you can. We have this new covenant of Christ and the church. He's calling us to engage into service now. Don't be distracted. He's saying, if you can do it by God's help and be single, go for it. I know that even when I came to this church, I was single, and I had a ton of time. Like, I mean, I would ha- I'd have worship practice till whatever, 10 at night, and I'd go down to the beach and then go home and do it again the next day. Or if you called me up, I was totally available. Well, now i got five kiddos and somebody else that lives in my house and my wife. I wasn't saying that about my just and somebody else. I, just so you know. Anyway, we got lots of people living in my house. So you know, I might be coaching basketball. I might be driving a kiddo to music lessons. I might be taking my wife on a date. I might be playing with my kids. I might be doing... Like, like there's lots to do when you've got lots of people living in your house. So I can't do near as much as somebody that's single. Just the facts. So I think that's something we've got to celebrate. We've got to live life to the fullest. John 10.10 10 says, Remember the thief has come to kill and destroy, but I have come to give married people life to the full. You singles never will have life to the full. No way. Is that what it says? Not at all. I have come to give abundant life to those that follow Jesus Christ. Do I get a... That's a weak amen. Come on. Yeah. So we're, we're called to engage into service now, live life to the fullest now, realizing that even what he says in, in Corinthians and in Matthew, it seems that singleness is actually a gift. You might not have the gift, but if you do, awesome. Absolutely awesome. And then a single person can have an undivided heart of service. 
So it's interesting because here he's, first of all, talking in Corinthians, he's talking to the folks there in Corinth that something is going on, that times are tumultuous, and seems there's a crisis going on. So that's who he's talking to. But he's saying, if you can have self-control, go for it. Like, be single. But if you're struggling with sexual immorality, then get married. But you know what's interesting, you guys? How today, and media is driving this, we seem to identify ourselves by our sexuality. Everything's about sexuality these days. Whether you're male, female, or somewhere in between. And we got it. And it's the biggest, fattest deal these days. Right? It seems like it's the biggest deal these days. And it blows my mind that when I go back to Genesis' account... They're walking around naked, Adam and Eve, everything's good. They're totally connecting on all levels at perfect intimacy, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and sexually. Sin enters, and what do they cover up? What do they notice that's different about them? Their sexual parts, right? Well, the last time I looked, me and my wife are very different, even intellectually. How we, like, how did you get that from what I just said? Or emotionally? Spiritually? Yeah, and sexually. But Adam and Eve, all of a sudden they covered up what made them different sexually. You didn't see him grab a leaf and cover his head. I don't want you to see my thoughts right now. (laughs) Or I don't want you to know how I feel. Isn't that interesting? And it seems to me that the devil has used that ever since. And just everything's about your sexuality. And it's just, it's not true. Sexuality is a part of us, but it is not the biggest part of us. So if you're starting to suck back that lie, spit it out. It's not true. Even if you're struggling with sexuality, whatever that may be, it is not who you are. You're way bigger than that. You're way bigger than that. So in verse 32, he goes on to also say that we can be, a single person can be free from worry or concern, and a married guy has to be concerned about this world, about his kiddos, and about his wife. So sometimes, if you can handle being single, be single. But I'm hoping to get across, too, that, that the subject of celebrating singleness in the church is really about three things. It's educating ourselves, really looking at this, going like, you know, singleness is not only an embarrassing option, it's, it's fabulous. If you can pull it off, praise God. Let's celebrate single folks. But number two, I would say another thing we got to do is as a church, we have to envelop single people into the family of God. In the Old Testament, when we saw that if they became a eunuch, they had, that was it. There was no having children, there was no family, and the kingdom was their family. How about us now, when we envelop a single person into our family of God, Sometimes, by choice, they're just saying, that's it, I'm not having kiddos, you're my family. I'm going to serve the kingdom of God. So this isn't about just single people, it's just about us and how we treat single people. Encouraging them, celebrating them, inviting them to stuff, not treating them like the third wheel. Not treating them second rate. And the third thing is, single or not single, divorced, whatever it may be, engage in service now. Don't think you have to have a husband in order to serve the Lord. Don't think you have to have a wife in order to serve the Lord. Serve him now. Serve him now in the family of God. So I came across what one woman 
said, her name was Cynthia, and she's single, and she uh, gave a bit of a commentary on this. She's not from our church here. So Cynthia, an unmarried woman in her mid-40s, offers her insights on how to avoid an empty life and find lasting fulfillment. Me? Single for the rest of my life, she says? Many of us must face this reality. Why? Because we have chosen to commit our lives to God first. He needs tools that are unattached to family to serve him. Does this mean less fulfillment, stunted growth, withdrawal from all full involvement in life? Not if one can embrace instead of rebel against God's plan for one's life. How many of us have been rebelling? It's okay to be single. It's great to be married. Now let's stop rebelling against it and embrace it. In fact, a dedicated life of service, Cynthia goes on to say, awaits those who sacrifice or renounce marriage in order to keep themselves completely at God's disposal. Think of single people like the writer Amy Carmichael, who traveled to India as a young missionary, not knowing what kind of service God wanted for her. She soon had a growing orphanage of children rescued from virtual slavery in the clutches of the Hindu temple priests. Or Mother Teresa, who founded an, uh, an order of sisters to look after the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, Her order has spread all over the world. Or think of Paul or the other apostles who, because they're single, they were able to travel travel ceaselessly to spread the gospel. Of course, you don't have to be a missionary nun or apostle to find fulfillment in in life of, of singleness. I could have felt bitterness and frustration, she goes on. I could have felt that of not being married. But instead, I found plenty of opportunity to serve others on a daily basis, right where I've been placed. Almost weekly, I visit inmates at a local jail. During my last visit, the women in the jail were eager, eager for a Bible study, so we read the story of the Good Samaritan and talked about everyday applications. After discussion of who could or couldn't sing, we all joined in spiritual uh, songs and hymns like Precious Lord and Amazing Grace. Needless to say, not every, not every evening is satisfying in this way. Loneliness can be a reality in any single person's life. It may tempt one to self-pity, but like any temptation, it can be refused. In her book, Passion and Purity, Elizabeth Elliot advises, accept your loneliness. It is one stage, and only one stage, on a journey that brings you to God. It will not always last. Offer your loneliness to God, as the little boy offered to Jesus his five loaves and two fishes. God can transform it for the good of others. And above all, do something for some, somebody else. So here's the clue. Service rendered to others. Teaching, nursing, counseling, visiting prisoners in jail. Any such activities can lead to a fulfilled life. For there are many hurting people in the world who need an extra touch of love. And those of us who are single are uniquely free to take up the task of being there for them. Being there for them. I love this thought into looking in what Jesus said in Matthew and what Paul's advice was to the Corinthian church. Not just put up with singles, but let's celebrate it. Points to remember, I think, about today is, number one, even Jesus was single. So I think that's okay then to be single. Jesus seemed to celebrate singleness by promoting that 
we can be eunuchs or we can be single people that are used mightily in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. We can choose signalness and even settle into our lot or position in life and use it to maximize our service in the kingdom or to the king of kings and the lord of lords. In essence, we could, be, we could think of it this way. We could think of the single people saying, you know what? They're saying this, hey church, I give up my backup plan. I'm going to grow old and I'm single. You're all I've got. You're my family. You're my family. So the church has to understand its responsibility to be an enveloping and engaging family for singles. So, there, that I think we need to change our outlook. We need to change our language in this family, in our family, the family of the church. We don't need to pressure people to be married. We don't need to bug them about it or treat them as if they're ill or something's wrong. We can celebrate singleness like we can celebrate healthy marriages. Envelop people. No matter if they're married or they're single or divorced, envelop them by inviting them over for a meal and enjoying where they're at and who they are and how they serve. Enjoy them. Eat together and be intergenerational. Make sure you're inviting the the young ones along with the ones that have been widowed or have never been married. But let's celebrate being a family together, engaging in using our gifts for the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this portion of scripture and I just really do pray that you would especially encourage our singles this morning. Thank you for them. We celebrate them. We love them. And we're thankful that they often have a little more time to give. And uh, you know what? This morning as a church, we just want to ask that you'd help us in our outlook and in our language that we would envelop all sorts of people, including those that are single, that we would enjoy them, see them reach their potential in Christ and help them more on their road to being content and staying content in the family of God. This morning, I thank you. This morning, I thank you for this family. And I do pray in Jesus' name that you would empower us as a family to celebrate singles and that you would empower singles to be good with what you've called them to be.